grab your Labiblias and turn to Genesis chapter 43. Now, in chapter 42, we saw the first meeting of Joseph's with his brothers, and it was a test. He was speaking rather harsh to them, it seemed. Not that he was harsh in his heart, he wasn't. But he wanted to, to see where they had developed to. And sure enough, when the stress got to them, they said to one another in Hebrew, uh, God is finding us guilty for what we did to our brother Joseph. And, and there's, they're yelling at each other saying, we've sinned against that boy. And he was yelling at us, please have mercy, don't do this. And, and we still sold him into slavery. How wrong that was, you know. And, uh, and when Joseph heard that, he, he heard what he was looking for. But he, he still had further to go. And so he had asked them, we find out in this chapter, we find out that he asked them a lot of pointed questions. We just hear the answers in chapter 42. We don't see Joseph ask those questions, but we're going to find out in this chapter the questions he asked. And, and basically he said, is my dad alive? Yep, my dad's alive. Or, is your father, guys, your guys' father alive? Yeah. And, uh, and is there any other brothers, you know? And yeah, we have a younger one. We have two of them, actually. One's gone now. He's dead. And, but the other one, Benjamin, uh, yeah, he's at home. And so Joseph ends by saying, well, you guys are free to go, but I won't see you again unless you bring your brother Benjamin with you because I'm still thinking you guys are spies. And I think that you're lying to me about having an extra brother, and, and I don't know if I'm going to believe all this. It was, it's really laughable, uh, you know, because it's definitely clear that Joseph hadn't thought this ahead of time. He's just flying by the seat of his pants, just sort of toying with these guys in, in a very humorous way in some ways. Of course, I, I don't believe Joseph had thought through what would be going through the mind and the heart of his father. You know, he, he had never knew the story about how they went back and told dad that he had been ate by a lion and here's his bloody ripped up clothes. He doesn't know about that. All he knows is he was taken to slavery and never talked to his dad, didn't know what his dad thinks, you know. He knew he was his dad's favorite. And, um, and so also, um, he had no idea how his dad felt about Benjamin now which is, I don't want this boy to leave my sight because I'm afraid something's going to happen to him. And then I have no favorite sons. Um, and, and of course, when they returned home and told Jacob this, Jacob was just besides himself. And he says, all things are against me. Oh, you know, it's one of that, those one-liners in the Bible. Chapter 42, 36, that's rather interesting because not only were not all things against him, God was arranging a lot of intricate, supernatural things for him. And, and the, the history, uh, the future history, uh, the future of, of his entire family and saving them. But yet, from where Jacob was looking, by sight, not by faith, he's just like, my life is horrible. Later, we're going to see when he meets Pharaoh, he's going to say, evil and hard have, harsh have been my days. That's the way he sums it up. Not really giving glory to God, is he? 
You know, such a contrast between him and Joseph. Joseph doesn't miss a beat. He's put in slavery. He becomes the best slave. He becomes a prisoner. He becomes the best prisoner. He, he, he's never denying the Lord, never cursing the Lord, um, and, and doesn't say, well, God can care about me, so why should I care about him? I'll just go have sex with Potiphar's wife or whatever. He didn't do those things. He, he said, how can I sin against God? And he fled from that tempting situation. And, and so when Jacob hears this, he's distraught, and he just plain out says at the end of chapter 42, there is no way I am ever going to give you Benjamin to take away from me. Just plain out, never going to happen. Reuben foolishly says, well, if we got to take him to get that, you know, you can, have, you can kill two of my sons if I don't bring him back. <laughs> Silliness, really. And of course, Reuben was the oldest son. And if Reuben was really taking care of his younger brothers, Joseph never would have been harmed to begin with. And so it has no clout whatsoever uh, with Jacob, even though he is the oldest son. And he said, yeah, if you took my son uh, and, and uh, something happened to him, he said, it would bring me, bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. If I heard something that happened to Benjamin, that's it. it. It would literally kill me. Now, in chapter 43, all the way to chapter 45, is the second meeting. So the first meeting, they left, they went home with the, the grain they needed. And that was in the first year. So I, you know, I would think it's six, eight months, nine months into the first year was the first meeting. We're going to discover in chapter 45, he'll, he'll tell them there's five years of famine left. So they're into the second year in this second meeting. And it takes three chapters to uh, dramatically uh, unroll itself until we, we see this very um, emotional story. I mean, again, facts are, are more interesting than fiction. And of course, the Bible is fact. So it's been going by a while. As a matter of fact, we're going to discover it's been going on too long that they're running out of food. And then we come to chapter 43 here. Now the famine was severe in the land. So they're realizing now that this is no ordinary famine. You see, the first time, you know, Israel on the equator is the same place as Southern California. When you go to Israel, it's like you're in Southern California. That with the ocean and the deserts, um, yeah, if you ever want to do something interesting, if you have time to kill, get a map of Southern California starting uh, and, and lay it over the map of Israel. And it's interesting. You'll find that Oceanside uh, is where Tel Aviv would be. And um, down by the Mexican border would be where um, Jerusalem would be. And then Tijuana would be where Beth uh, Bethlehem is. And it's interesting, though, because the, the Dead Sea in Israel is the same location as the Salton Sea. And the Sea of Galilee is the same location as Big Bear Lake. If you ever want to lay it over, it's sort of weird. I mean, the difference is, you know, Big Bear Lake is 
5,000 feet elevation, where the Sea of Galilee is the lowest fresh water on planet Earth, 800 feet below sea level. And of course, the Dead Sea is literally the lowest spot on Earth. So you go to Israel with us next April, I'll take you to the lowest place on Earth, 1,400 feet below sea level. Interesting. Uh, Israel's interesting. It's a really unique land with a lot of unique things. The oldest archaeological uh, city discovered is Jericho, you know. Um, yeah, some really interesting stuff there. But either way, they have famines. They have like we have in California uh, pretty regularly. So, you know, at first it was like, yeah, this is a famine. You know, we're, we're used to them. They last a year, maybe two, but we get by. But they realized at this point, as we start this chapter, we are in something that's unprecedented in my lifetime. And of course, Jacob's like 130 plus years old at this point. And he's uh, lived there a big part of his life. And so they realize, oh, wow, this is not going to blow over. There's nothing uh, we're going to be able to get by on here. So it came to pass in verse 2 that when they had eaten the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back and buy a little food. So it, you can sort of hear the indifference in it, you know, go back and buy a little food, you know, just go on down there, just get a little bit. You know, in essence, thinking, I'm not asking you to go to like to the main granary, because I know you got to take Benjamin back if you do that. But go try to find some little black market area or some lesser location where somebody's already bought it from Egypt and buy it secondhand from them. And I know you can't get as much, but it's just, just try to push this down a little further, maybe another month or two or three. Go get a little bit to get us by for a few more months, not the big buy like you did last year. But Judah spoke to him. Now we're going to discover later that Judah is the kingly line. And so Reuben, even though he was the oldest brother, he's really not a leader. And when Jacob's going to prophesy about him in a few chapters, it's not very good. Um, but Judah, at times we see him leading. But unfortunately, up to this point, uh, Judah's big moment was, I got a good idea. Let's sell Joseph into slavery. That was his idea. Not very good. And then, of course, his other thing that he did was went into a prostitute, which happened to be his daughter-in-law, Tamar, tricking him because he wasn't giving his son, Sheila, uh, to her as he was supposed to do. And, and he has kids that are the age of his grandkids that are really his kids through his daughter-in-law. So things, things are, you know, a little messy in, in Judah's life, but at this point, he, he's taking the lead. And he's saying, the man. We, you know who the man is, right? No, it's not Uncle Sam. It's Joseph. The man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Do you notice how uh, Judah, it will not say the name Benjamin? He'll say brother, he'll say him. And down in verse eight, when Judah starts talking again, he calls him the lad, but he will not say Benjamin. 
I don't know if this is out of guilt or if it's going to sound too sharp if he says it to his dad. Hey, let me take Benjamin. I'll take him down to Egypt, whatever it is. He, he's trying to get around it without saying the name Benjamin. And so he says there's just no way around getting any more grain unless Benjamin's with us. Now it says, and Israel said, that's a good sign. It didn't say Jacob said. That's usually when he's in the flesh. So it seems like he's having a season in the spirit here. Why do you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? Now, in the last chapter, all we know is they just volunteered it. It looked like they was like, hey, yeah, we're uh, 12 sons and, and our father's an age guy. And, and, and they start giving all this information. And, and it just seemed like, why are they volunteering all this information? Well, now we find out in this chapter that... Um, this man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? <laughs> Have you another brother? Have we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? So this guy, again, he, Joseph, we don't find out until this chapter, that he was asking these very specific questions. Of course, we know why, right? I mean, he's he's got this worry in the back of his mind, he'll never see his dad alive. And he's getting old. I mean, he's over 130 years old at this point. And, and what about Benjamin? Have you guys killed him off or sold him into slavery as well? Because I know you were equally as jealous of my relationship with dad as, as Benjamin's relationship with dad, because those, those were two full brothers from Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. So how, how have you been treating him? Did he not come with you because you don't like him? You don't want to be around him because you're jealous of him? And he's feeling like, uh, you know, the, the extra will on the cart and, and you guys have cut yourself off from him. Is that why he's not here? So he asked all these questions. And remember, he, Joseph's first words are, I believe you're a spy. I believe you're spies. I believe you're here to overthrow Egypt. And, and then he starts asking them all these questions. Of course, if they had lied, again, they might have picked up on that saying, hey, you're, you just proved you're a spy because you're lying to me now. So they were very much trying to be truthful, answering all these questions, uh, trying to get out of the hole of being a spy. But at the same time, Joseph's gathering all this information because, of course, he wants to know about his family. They have no idea at this point. It's Joseph. So then, so Jacob, again, or Israel, excuse me, he, he's, he's still having this pity party. We just don't see this godly character in him. And remember with Isaac, it was that way. His dad, Isaac, got to the point, he goes, I'm ready to die any day now. I'm going to give the blessing. He ended up living an extra 43 years after that. But he was blind, and, and for, I guess, about 50 years, he was blind and sort of bedridden, and it was just sort of a, a grumpy, not a very good character, in character, didn't appear Isaac was. Uh, do, even though he knew Jacob was supposed to get the blessing, he was going to stubbornly give it to Esau instead, and, and so forth. And now we're seeing this sort of in Jacob, that, you know, again, I've never been 130 years old, so I can't judge the guy, but I think I'll probably be grumpy if I live to be 132. Um, but either way, he's like, man, I'm stressed. You're stressing me out. Why did you tell this guy anything about us to begin with? 
Why did you do this wrong? That was stupid of you guys. And, and then Judah said to Israel, his father, in verse 8, send the lad, <laughs> again, he won't say Benjamin, with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. So let me take him. We need to get going. And, and if we don't, everybody's going to die. You're worried about Benjamin dying. But the fact is, if we don't take Benjamin, we're all going to die of hunger. And he said, I myself will be surety for him. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. And then he says something rather interesting in verse 10. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned on this second time. So he is saying, it sounds like this has been a conversation going on for a while. We really need to go get some grain. And, and now the last few months, they are living on crazy, bad, unhealthy rations. And Jacob is going, well, maybe I should have to send Benjamin also. And he's saying, you should have made this decision a long time ago, several weeks ago, a few months ago. I don't know how long. And had you done that, we could have been there and back already and not everybody in this famine starvation mode that, that we're in. This is already, your indecision has been way overdue. You've already should have made this decision. And then he says, make me a surety. This is a guarantee. This is like when somebody co-signs on a house loan with you, you know, where if you don't uh, follow through on the payment, then the bank can come after you for the person you signed for. So he's in essence saying, I'll sign for Benjamin and, and um, give me him as a loan and I'll make sure the loan gets paid back. That's in essence what he's saying. Give me a loan. I'll bring it back. I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good for um, the co-signing of this, this uh, deal that we're making. But in verse 11 now, Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels. Carry some of the pre present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. So we, we see that they still had in the land certain things still growing, but it wasn't the grain. They need the bread. Uh, you know, they, 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 the, the diet won't, you can't live on just the nuts and stuff. You have to have the other nutrition with it or you will starve to death according to this. So, you know, if you look in Israel's past, remember when uh, he was trying to get favor with his brother Esau, he sent a bunch of presents and it worked real well. He's learned that you can get guys that are pretty mad at you, but if you give them a bunch of presents, um, it, it can go well with you. And uh, actually there's a proverb that says very much that. And in verse 12, take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of the sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. So, you know, take double money so you can give them back the money that was accidentally left in your bags. Remember in the last thing when they got through the grain, they realized, hey, there's our money that we gave them for this grain. And then they really freaked out going, oh my gosh, they're going to really know we're spies now. We stole a bunch of money. 
And uh, so take it back and, and start your conversation with presents. And then as soon as you get down to the presents, give them saying, hey, here's the money from last time. Um, let's get that. By the word, way, the Hebrew word for money in verse 12, it's the same word as silver. So if some of your translations say silver, it's the same exact Hebrew word. You may translate it either way. Well, in verse 13, take your brother also and arise and go to the man. And then he says, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. But if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. You know, that which is not of faith is sin. And this is a bunch of religious words, but not with the heart of faith. Right? I mean, again, we, 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 we would have just liked to see Jacob with this, a different heart of faith. You know, I can imagine Jacob praying, hey, let's pray for this famine to pass. Let's pray for God's provisions. And it doesn't come. And then he says, oh, man, God's not answered our prayer. This is a real bummer. I guess we've got to go to Egypt uh, to get some food. And then they brought back the grain going, man, we're going to pray again. We don't have to go back. Poor, poor Simeon, he's going to have to stay in Egypt because we're not going back. We're just going to pray this through and believe God to, to provide for us in this next year so we don't have to go back to Egypt. And they're all praying in their family prayer meetings. Lord, get us through this famine. We don't want to have to go back to Egypt and whatever. And so Jacob has, again, gone through this whole year. Joseph's gone. Simeon's gone. All is against me. And he's praying, but it's not really with a sense of not my will, but thy will be done. Believe me, if God gives you your will, you will be miserable. You really do want his will. You really don't want your own will, even though we can see the gratification immediately if God were to give me that. But at the same time, uh, it could be the absolute worst thing for you. And, and you, you parents know that, right? So we really do want to see God move and his mighty hand with us moving, but never contrary to what is best, especially in his predestined plan. All of us as believers are the elect of God. Everybody who believes becomes the elect of God. And all the elect of God, he says from that point forward, he's predestined our life to be shaped into the image of his son and right up into glorification with Jesus. So God's got all these plans and we just want to walk in them. God's predestined good works for us to walk in. Uh, it didn't say we will, it says we should walk in them. I still think we have a free will every day. So it would have been neat had he really had joy. God, I, you know, my fears about Benjamin, but you've got it all in control. You feed the birds, you feed the animals, you're, you're taking care of all of your kingdom in the middle of this famine, and I know you'll take care of us. I love that passage in Luke 12, 32. Jesus said, don't worry about what's going to eat or drink or wear. Your father knows you need these things. And then he says, um, something little lamb. So I totally forgot the verse. I just quoted it just a little bit ago to another pastor. But uh, fear not, little lambs. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So Joseph could have just, 
Or Jacob could have just had a heart of faith going, guys, God's got us. His thoughts towards us are good and not evil to give us a hope and a future. And even if we were to all die of this famine, God's got it. It's fine. Let's rejoice. And, and, and you're going to go up and I'm just going to pray God's blessing and put angels around about you and watch over you and keep you. God spoke to my father, Abraham. God spoke to my, my grandfather, Abraham, and my dad, Isaac, and he spoke to me as well. God's got a plan for us as a people. He is going to be with us and he's going to be with you. Uh, rejoice. This is a trial, but rejoice in every trial. God prosper you in your way. And Benjamin, come back or not, I'll see you in heaven. God bless you. You know, it would have been neat, but instead he's like, oh, oh, why did you even talk to that guy to begin with? Why did you tell him all of this? Oh, I'm going to die. Am I going to go to the grave if something happens to Benjamin? And then he's like, oh, okay, if Benjamin's going to die, Benjamin's going to die. Bereaved such as life, you know. It's just sort of stinking thinking, right? And, uh, and unfortunately, um, Jacob will, towards the end of his life, shake out of this when he sees the mighty things that he's doing in Joseph and, and all the gang. Well, in verse 15 there then, oh, notice what he, again, we see the disrespect. He really doesn't like his sons except for Joseph and Benjamin. Notice what he says there in verse 11, 14, I think it's funny, that maybe he'll release your other brother and Benjamin. <laughs> you know, he doesn't say Simeon. It's like, yeah, one of, one of those other, I think he's my kid. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember his name. What's it, didn't it start with an S or something? I, don't, I can't remember. You know, the other guy that's down in Egypt. And, and, of course, Benjamin. Boy, you see the favoritism in there, don't you? Well, in verse 15, so the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand, and they rose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home, slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sack the first time that we have been brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us and to take us a slave with our donkeys. So as they are heading that way, again, Joseph's been looking and realizing, man, these guys are going to be coming back any day. They're out of food. They're way overdue. And so... Um, He's keeping an eye out for them. And again, I, as we talked about last week, I think he sort of had it set up so anybody coming from Canaan would come to a special location so he could check it out. And he sees him coming and he sees Benjamin. So in my mind, he's looking like from a second or third story where he can see everybody entering and he sees Benjamin at a distance. So he hasn't talked to them yet. So he tells the servant, okay, go out there and get them and, and take them to my house. And they're like going, oh my goodness, you got, we're going down this alley. Where does this alley go? Oh no, we're going. I've never been to this part of town. I don't see anybody around here but Egyptians. Oh boy, where are we going? I guess we're going to be, I think, they, I think they are thinking we're spies and they're taking us to kill us. You know, they're going to take us to enslave us. You know, what's really funny here is evidently donkeys were a greater commodity than people. Because their, their real concern was their donkeys. 
Oh, yeah, they're going to take us as a slave, but they're going to take our donkeys. Probably during this time of famine, few people could have fed their donkeys. They probably had to let them die or kill them and eat them. And so probably having a donkey was a very rare commodity in this time of famine. And so they're concerned for their own lives, but they're really concerned about those donkeys. Uh, you know, we, can, we got 10 of us brothers, but we only have three donkeys. Um, so when they drew near now, the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. So they're being directed towards it, and out comes the main guy, Joseph's right hand. And they immediately start pleading their case. They're afraid for their lives. And they said, oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks. And there each man's money was in the mouth of a sack. And our money is full of weight. And we have brought it back to you in our own hand. And we have brought down our money in our hands to buy food. And we do not know who put the money into our sacks. So they are really pleading here. They, they're thinking they're in serious trouble. And this servant, not Joseph yet, this servant says to them, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So, it's interesting here, we see a few things. If Joseph's a type of Christ, a picture of Christ in so many ways, which I think he is, the servant here would be the Holy Spirit, if you would. But either way, this, this steward totally knows what's going on. But what else do we notice of him? He seems to have been converted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This man seems to be spiritually in tune. Not only is he Joseph's right-hand man, but maybe if you would, Joseph's led him to the Lord because he says, be at peace. Your God, the God of your fathers, has given you this treasure. Wow. Got this guy down in Egypt telling them to get their eyes on God when the last place they've never gotten yet is their eyes on God. That's sort of always a humbling thing when, when a, a non-believer rebukes the Christian and they're right, you know. But it's like, hey, rejoice, be at peace, don't be afraid. God's got you, man. God's got you in his hand. So the man, this is again, the steward, brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water that they washed their feet. And he gave their donkeys feed. That's important to know. Um, not neglecting those donkeys. But again, I think in this time of famine, to use water to wash your feet was probably not something that everybody did. I think water was a very precious commodity as well. And so they're given water to wash their feet, uh, which again is very much a, a, a Eastern uh, practice at this time, probably something they weren't able to do at their house. But in verse 25... They made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. 
So they're getting everything ready, get that out, you know, adjust that bow on that present, and let's give him this one first, and then this one. No, 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 let's give him that one first, and then that one. Okay, then let's put him back over here, and they're getting it all ready, you know. They're, they're, they, want, they want the presentation to be just right, and, you know, it's 11 o'clock, it'll be here an hour, let's, let's arrange this, you know, really pretty, you know, so it looks very attractive. We really want him to, to be happy with us. And so finally... Um, in verse 26 here, then Joseph came home and brought him the present which was in their hand into the house. And notice they bowed down before him to the earth. Just like in the last chapter, once again, that prophetic dream that Joseph have is being fulfilled. They're bowing down to him. And he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? Is the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, your father, is good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. So the picture we sort of get here is that there was this traditional introduction that was going to happen. And they bow down. They start to do their introduction of, uh, of whatever, and Joseph breaks protocol and just says, hey guys, how's your dad doing? Still alive? <laughs> What's else is going on? You know, and then, okay, let's start the presentation back over. And so now they prostrate themselves to go through the routine of, uh, of the proper presentation to this high man who's probably up on some stage, I picture, not on a throne necessarily, but probably um, in, in a royal looking situation. And, uh, and they are the lesser people bowing down. And then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, young, my, you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep, and he went into their chamber and wept there. Remember, we're going to see Joseph weep six times. Next chapter, no weeping. The 45th chapter, three times he weeps. But here again, he's weeping. Uh, he's the emotion that is just overwhelming him, seeing Benjamin face to face. Then he washed his face and came out, and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. Now, just for a note. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for this is an abomination of the Egyptians. So even though Joseph has this highly exalted place, he wasn't an Egyptian. So even the lowest class Egyptian could not eat with Joseph. So every time it came to eat, Joseph ate by himself, the Egyptians ate by themselves. And in this case, it appears that the Hebrews are going to all eat by themselves. So it's sort of hard to have a banquet when everybody's in different locations. But again, we see the wisdom of God in this. And Joseph saw it ahead of time. Remember, we're going to see later, hey, when Pharaoh asks you what you do, say you're shepherds. That's all you know, because they're abomination to Egyptians, and they're going to bless you a long way away from them. They don't want to be anywhere near them. There are many records on this. 
The Egyptians would not eat anything that had been touched by anybody but an Egyptian. They wouldn't use any utensils, any spoons, no bowls, anything touched by anybody but an Egyptian because they believed they were from the gods that uh, that would sort of contaminate them. And so it's going to be a wonderful thing that they're going to be separated because in the land of Canaan, they're being interwoven with the other nations, which God didn't want. And so God, it's part of his plan. Of course, we know this is part of the plan going all the way back to Genesis 15. Remember where God declared Abraham to be righteous and then they were going to make a covenant together. They cut the animals in half and him and God were to walk through going, I'll keep my half, you keep your half. But Abraham went into a deep sleep and God walked through on his own saying, I'll keep my part and your part. I can't count on you. It, a per, perfect picture of salvation, not of us. It's of the Lord that we're saved. But he had a horrible nightmare. And in this nightmare, he did have lots of kids, but they were all going to be slaves for four generations outside of the promised land. He woke up in terror, basically, and he understood that where they were really going to become a, a, a substantial nation, as many as the stars of the heaven, it would actually be in slavery. It would be outside the promised land. So this is all a part uh, of our sovereign God that we can trust in him, even when things seem dark. But again, this is not a bad thing. So don't, don't read that going, this is a bad thing. We're going to be explained in a few chapters that this is a very good thing that the Egyptians feel this way about you because this is all a part of God's plan. So they sat there in verse 33 before him and the firstborn according to his birth and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked astonished at one another. So a couple of things here. Joseph says, let me see you at the table here. And he does it from the oldest down to the youngest. And they're astonished at this. David Guzik in his commentary points out that, that there was a, a guy who mathematically tried to figure this out. And it was one in a 40 million chance to get this right. 11 in a row. It's, it's huge. Uh, it's basically impossible. Uh, the odds are impossible that anybody could do this unless they knew which order they were in. But then he took the serving to them from there before him. But Benjamin um, serving was five times as much as theirs. So they drank and were married with him. So again, I think this is the test. Is the jealousy still there? You're bringing Benjamin down because you have to. How do you guys feel about him? If I'm showing him favoritism like dad showed me favoritism, what's your reaction going to be to that? And you've got to realize these guys are starving. When he's you know, killing the food and bringing out all the bread, I mean, this is something they haven't had in months, you know. So th this, is, this is a big moment, and they're starving. And they all get their, their portion, probably not huge. But then all of a sudden, Benjamin, the youngest, gets five times the amount. The amount everybody really wanted, but they didn't get. And how would they feel about this? And it says, they all drank and were merry. It, it, didn't, it didn't dawn on them. There's no jealousy like that in their hearts whatsoever. So that's sort of the next test, if you would, that Joseph wanted to see. 
You know, a couple of interesting notes here. All they had to do is come to Egypt, huh? They just had to come. And Joseph, this time, he's not speaking harshly to them at all. The servant gave them an inside information going, don't be afraid. Joseph's on his way, but it's just going to be his blessings on you. There isn't going to be any scolding, any accusations about you being spies, about him throwing you in prison or enslaving you. And, and then he's like, oh, yeah, okay, what's going on? Hey, Simeon, come on out. Simeon's been there having a great time. He hasn't been starving at all. <laughs> Simeon, you know, maybe in their minds, because remember when they left, Joseph was tying Simeon up with ropes. And, and, and in reality, jo- Simeon's been living there with Joseph like a king. And it's like, well, what happened to our brother Simeon? Oh, no, don't worry. Yeah. Simeon, come here. Hey, guys. You know, he's got this new duds on and he's got a little belly. And, and uh, he's like, yeah, good to see you guys. Man, hasn't been hanging. You know, it's like, we didn't starve to death. How about you? Oh, dude, he's got a bowling alley downstairs. We're, we're having a, this is like camp. I've just had a great year. It's been wonderful. Good to see you guys. And, and the servants, like, guys, yeah, there's... You're, you're afraid, but there's absolutely no worries whatsoever. When Joseph gets here, you're going to see his heart of just wanting to bless you. You know, Jesus in Revelation 3.20 says that, doesn't it? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, will open the door. I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so we, we see here where Joseph is saying, all you got to do is come. All you got to do is, is come. He, you know, Isaiah, he who has no money, come buy and eat. I'm going to lavish this upon you. So it's, it's interesting, again, if it's a picture. Because the first time that Jesus appeared to his brethren, well, they crucified him, right? The second time he's going to appear is at the end of the tribulation period. And then the third time they're going to see him is with the father. Chapter 46, Jacob's going to come down with all the sons. So what we have here at this second time is all 12 sons. When Stephen is is preaching in Acts, he says all Israel Because if you think about it, all Israel is in the loins of these 12 men, right? That is all Israel. So when all Israel met him for the second time, Stephen says, then he revealed himself. So we actually have quite a bit in the Bible about this second time. Israel, the nation, sees Jesus for the second time. In Zechariah 12.10, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. Grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. In Revelation 1-7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who, who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen.
In Zechariah 13, 6, and one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? And he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So they couldn't see Jesus being the Messiah the first time. They were offended at him. Everything about him upset them. They wanted him dead and gone. And they crucified him. He rose from the dead, revealed to the 500, and then ascended into heaven. But we're going to see it at the end of the tribulation period when they realize this Antichrist who just sat in the, in the temple isn't the Christ. He's the Antichrist. And it's going to click. It's interesting it hasn't clicked. Don't you think he set the brothers up 12 in a row to try to give them a little breadcrumbs to open their eyes? How could he do that? Is he doing some magic trick or something? The, the thing is, is that they would have looked. I thought I recognized him. I think there's something familiar about him. You, you, there's something there. Why does he want to know so much about our dad? Why, why did he want to know? What, is this, they're clueless. This is exactly what it says in 2 Corinthians 4. The, it's like a, a, a blinder has over the eyes of Israel until this day. But in the second time, when they see the son, Jesus, their eyes will be opened and they'll realize we did him so wrong. You know, that is really the sin that people in hell are going to be there. Paul says, because they would not believe the love of the truth. Therefore, the delusion, they were able to be deceived by the Antichrist because they did not want to believe the love of the truth. But at this point, they're going to realize he did pay for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced through for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-being did come upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed, but we would not receive it. Well, where did you get those wounds? In the house of my friends. Oh, I think they're going to get pierced. They are. They're all pierced of heart. And this is where he's leading this conversation for them to come to see. This person that you've been dealing with is me, Joseph. But yet they're not quite getting it at this moment. Well, any input, any thoughts anyone has or any questions you might have um, this evening before we go into a little time of prayer and worship. Yes, I see that hand. Okay, verse 31 Verse 34, he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin, yeah, it, it does appear that he placed them like he was serving them. Like he, he put them each in a, in a chair in order, and then he was the one giving them food. It does appear that way, and that's why I was reading that Re Revelation 3.20 passage, you know, come in and I'll sup with you and you'll sup with me. And again, it, it, it would have been even more extraordinary 
that he had his own place set to eat by himself. The Egyptians had a places to eat by themselves. And then these guys are set up to eat by themselves. But he came over and ate with them. Because in their minds, like, how can this be? Because Egyptians don't eat with foreigners. In their minds, he's an Egyptian. The Egyptians know he's not an Egyptian. But he's going to eat with them? How, how can such a thing be? And this is, again, how, why they drank and, and ate together and their hearts were merry. It would have been a, a monumental, monumental moment that he's at table with them eating. Yeah, it would have been extraordinary. They got it. They got that moment. They ate and they drank and their hearts were merry. Good question. Any, any other questions? Yes. Right, the, the passage we're going to look at next week. You asked me a chapter 44 question last week, and I told you to wait. I, uh, see if I, I, didn't, I didn't have the answer off the top of my head on the other one. Maybe I know this one. Let's see. Yeah, it's the same question you asked last week. You've you got you to wait one more week, yes. So, actually, Matthias is going to be teaching next week. Right, in chapter... Yeah, they, they just assumed he was dead, that when they sold him into slavery, slaves didn't last long in Egypt. So they just assumed it's been 13 years. He's dead. So he was 17, he was sold as a slave. He was 30 when he began to reign second as Joseph. Then now there's been seven years of famine... And now they're in the second year of that famine. So that would put Joseph at 38, 39 years old. Right. It's two ways of, of saying he's dead. Yeah. Two different ways of saying he's dead. I think a lot older than that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we know. I don't think we know. You know, the... Uh, Jacob was seven years old Yeah, that's right. That's right. Put those years together, you could... Could a pretty good guess. Right. Yeah, so if he was 70 when it, I, I can't remember, he was 60, was he the same age? Okay, I, 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 I remember doing that math before, yeah. He was there 20 years, and you're talking about in the Ur of Chaldees. He had kids, and now he's 130, so his kids could be 60. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I think that's a good guess. I'd have to go back and look at that. Yes, you do that, Pierre. You do think. Yes? He's a picture of it. Yeah, some push the that too much, I think. 
Yep, they, they took a lot of the second coming of Christ's uh, prophecies and applied it to his first coming. Yes. No, it's 100% true. Yeah. It's interesting. Most of the Orthodox Jews believe it's sin for them to even be in Israel. They, they believe that it was the Messiah that was to bring them in Israel. So many of the Jews that have been born and raised in Israel believe that they shouldn't be there because the Messiah hasn't come back yet. So they're, they feel like it's sin that they're there. And, uh, and they believe that the Messiah would bring the Jews back into Israel and build the temple and reestablish the priesthood and all those things. And so when you listen to them say, this is what's going to happen when the Messiah comes, it is identical to what the Bible tells us the Antichrist is going to do out of Daniel and Revelation. And it does. It just brings goosebumps every time I hear him, him say it. And they do say it plainly. Yep, yep. Yep, for the first three and a half years they do. Yep. They, they, when it, at first they do, those first three and a half years, yeah. The Antiochus of its Epiphanies, the, as Daniel talks about. Well, good stuff, guys. And, uh, and next week, next week, when, when uh, Matthias is teaching chapter 44, you cannot ask questions about chapter 45. You gotta wait. Anyway, good stuff here. Lord, we thank you again for all the great and wonderful things you have showed us and taught us and spoke to us about, Lord. And, and we do just wanna come into that living word, Lord. We wanna come into that place where your presence is, Lord, and just live in that place where our eyes are open and we have ears to hear all that you want to reveal to us. And we, we hear you knocking, Lord, and we come. We open that door, Lord. We, we are knocking ourselves. We're just wanting to, to come and be in your presence. You said we're two or three gathered in your name. You'd be here with us. You said draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So, Lord, we're drawing near now. And we would ask that you do great and mighty things we know not of, that you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And as you pray tonight, I would just mention to try to pray twice with two shorter prayers rather than one longer prayer. And that uh, you guys would jump in and, and pray and just thank the Lord for who he is and what he's done. Thank the Lord for bringing us into the truth of eternal life and salvation. And then ask the Lord to pour out his spirit upon our nation, upon our community, our Jerusalem here, and that, that God would just use us daily to be the light and the salt of the earth. 